is only one me on this entire planet. And because, and by the way, there is only one you, right? And because there is only one me, and because there is only one you, there is a new type of crime on planet Earth called stealing my, yes, right? How many of you have LifeLock, right? We, yeah, I know, it's rising. Uh, because people suffer from stolen identity, and what they do is they take out credit cards or more, they take out mortgages in your name. I mean, it's like, you know, this stuff has gone huge. One of the companies that I'm with called Experian goes to great lengths to protect my identity. If you, if you get this service through them, uh, then before you take a mortgage out, before you take a credit card out, there's a lot of things that has to happen first. To log in as me, a thief who wants to steal my identity would have to know my email. They would have to know my login to my email. They would have to know my birth date. They would have to know my social security number, which sadly, those are probably easily findable these days. They'd have to know my cell number, and they would have to have my cell phone in their possession all at once to take out a new credit card or to impersonate me and take out a loan in my name. In other words, to take out a loan in my name you've got to be 100% me, not just 90, right? That's what, when you get identity, theft identity protection, that's what kind of affords you. It makes sure that the person who is taking the loan or taking out the credit card or doing whatever is actually the person doing it. And it's important that it's 100% me and not 90. This morning, we're going to be talking about how that's very similar with Jesus. A lot of times in our world, we can get Jesus 90% right. But when we get Jesus 90% right, that's as powerless as a faith as if we got him 0% right. It's only when we get Jesus 100% right do we experience the blessings of faith, peace, forgiveness, and power. Amen? We are, in the story of Jesus, we're at the midpoint of his earthly ministry. In the first half of Jesus' ministry, everybody really liked him at first. Now, he never did anything just to get people to like him. But they did like him. He went around doing amazing miracles. He fed people. He uh, healed people. He drove demons out of people. He taught people. He settled disputes for people. He was doing amazing things. Very, very likable. He was the talk of the town. And everybody liked Jesus at first until they realized they couldn't control him. Last week, we talked about the first real bitter interaction between Jesus and who would become his enemies the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders that would have him crucified. The Pharisees had finally come out and said, we acknowledge Jesus is doing miracles. We can't deny the fact that people are getting healed. But we are telling you, and you've got to listen to us, Jesus is doing these miracles because he's powered by the devil, not by God. So don't follow him. Stay away from him because if you follow Jesus, you're going to get some of that devil stuff on you. Others would come along and they'd say, Jesus is a fool. 
dude's out of his mind. He says crazy things like, destroy the temple and I will rebuild it in three days. So we either have Jesus is crazy or we have Jesus is from hell. But in Jesus' day, few had no reaction. Here's the point. A lot of people liked Jesus. He was that nice guy. But they didn't worship him. To them, he was a great teacher, maybe even a reformer, but a man and nothing more. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tackles that issue because who he is is vitally important to not only being a part of something bigger than yourself, but to be a part of something that lasts forever. Jesus asks two questions. And ironically, Peter gives two responses. Let's go to the first question. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say I am? That's kind of a neat question, huh? Jesus is like, hey, look, I know that there's a lot of word on the street about me. Tell me, what are some of the people saying? I'm curious. Jesus probably already knew, but he wanted to hear them voice it. They kind of gave Jesus what you might call the four most popular answers of the day. The first one was, some say you're John the Baptist. That's kind of ironic because John the Baptist is either freshly executed or on the verge of being executed by this time. But, hey, my wife wishes I could be at two different places at once. Maybe that's what they were thinking about. Jesus says John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. They say that because he was prophesied to come back. So Elijah was on the docket. Others say Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the greater of the later prophets. And still, someone said another one of the prophets or a spokesman for God. By the way, these answers, they were meant to be flattering, right? It's as if I was walking around and people would say, Tom, we think you are the the resurrection of George Washington, right? We think you're the resurrection of Abraham Lincoln. Come back to bring our country into unity. They were wrong in the answer, but they were still on the right side of the issue. And so Jesus didn't rebuke them, nor did he take it as an insult. They were kind of like a moth. You ever watch a moth hovering around the light? They see the light, but they can't understand it, what it is. So they just sit there and fly around the light, fascinated by a light they cannot understand. In the year 2004, Mel Gibson, an actor, did in six months what Billy Graham couldn't accomplish in a lifetime. And that was, he put the identity of Jesus in front of four billion people on Earth in most of Earth's major languages. And for a few months, everybody across the globe was talking about Jesus. Who is Jesus? The famous cover of Newsweek. Will the real Jesus stand up? Everybody was talking about Jesus. What a lot of people don't know is a lot of critics, Gibson had to answer a lot of critics because the ending scene of the Passion of the Christ was added after he sold the, sh- the movie to all the people who are going dis- to distribute it. It was sort of a last-minute addition. 
And if you see it, it kind of almost looks that way. You can tell that there was just something added at the end. And what was added at the end was Jesus rising after his crucifixion. Gibson insisted that it had to be in the movie because he said, I don't want people to think my Jesus was a mere human. You don't have the true Jesus without the resurrection. He said, the clip stays or I can the movie now. After millions had been spent. Obviously, they kept the clip and the Passion of the Christ is one of the most well-seen movies all over the world over the last 20 years. The second question, after he talks about who the people say I am, Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? If you were to interview people on the streets, they'd probably tell you something like this. Well, Jesus was a good man, kind of a misunderstood guy, maybe one of those ancient revolutionary types. Obviously, he's one of those uh, uh, historical figures, right? Uh, a historical figure, almost like a Mount Rushmore religion. You know, you've got Jesus, you've got Buddha, you've got Confucius, you've got all these great figures smiling down on us from heaven. Sure, Jesus gets a spot there. I used to think that. That's why I wasn't a believer. That's why I wasn't a Christian. I used to think he was just another face on Mount Rushmore. Soon after I began to explore Christianity in depth, somebody gave me a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, who was a British author uh, during the mid-20th century. And uh, he wrote something. I actually meant to put it in slides so you can see it, but just please listen to this quote. He said this, People often say to me, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I can't accept his claim to be God. Well, for Christianity, that is one thing we cannot say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who thinks he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. No, no, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not patronize him about him being some great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us he never intended to Jesus asked the question who do you say I am and Peter answers first by the way I'll give you how it reads in the actual Greek uh, it's kind of important I think it's kind of cool a lot of the translations mix and blend together they're not wrong but just this is kind of the word for because there's four thus in the sentence Peter says you are the Christ in other words, you are the Jewish Messiah we've been waiting for. And he says, you are the son, the son, the one and only son of the God, the God who created, the only God, the God, not gods, but the God, the living one. 
Peter was saying, I know who you are. You are the human Messiah come to save us. Now, here's the interesting thing. He was only half right. Now, I know what some of you are going to say, wait a minute. <laughs> Based on what Jesus says next, it seems like he's full right. Nah, just keep tracking with me. Jesus says to Peter, and we can read this together. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father. What's Jesus saying? God showed you who I was. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Getting that confession right, all of a sudden, Jesus is conferring authority and power onto Peter. You cannot read that and not see that. But then Jesus, just a few verses later, he, he connects who his identity is with what his mission on earth is to do when we get down to verse 21. This was the other half that Peter didn't get. He said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must, not just a good idea, not just should, no, I'm not I'm thinking about it, or this might be plan A, there could be a plan B. No, he must be killed and on the, oh, good, you guys got that one. On the third day, be raised to life. And that is the key truth that saves us. Why do I say this? You can say Jesus, you can say Jesus Christ, you can say Jesus Christ, Son of God, and that means a thousand things to a thousand different people. When I was a pastor up in Washington, I remember I, I was a youth pastor, I asked a young teenage girl, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah. Do you believe Jesus was the Son of God? Jesus was the Son of God. Yeah. But, you know, then she began to tell me how she believed in Buddha, how she believed in all. She believed in all these things. And finally she said, and you need to speak up a little bit because the tree behind you is listening. This, was, this is Washington State, you know. They believe all the trees are listening. Which, by the way, some of them might be because they're bugged. You know? <laughs> but anyway, and she just launched this whole thing where, yeah, we got a little bit of Jesus. We got a little bit. We'll just sprinkle all these things and we'll get essentially a Mount Rushmore religion in a little pudding bowl all mixed together and blended. Paul makes it very clear in Romans 10.9. We can't do that. He says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's who he is. That's what Peter got right. And believe in your heart. That's how we respond. That God raised him from the dead. That's what he did. You will be saved. That's how God responds. In other words, if Christ is still in the grave, if Christ is still dead, then his death cannot save us. And we're still in our sins. And life does not have a happy ending. I want to say it again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart. But what do we believe? Well, obviously, you've got to believe that Jesus is Lord. But also believe that he rose from the dead. Paul says you will be saved. 
Well, Peter, constant foot in his mouth disease. He, in verse 22, he takes Jesus aside and he says, never, never, Lord. This is never going to happen to you. I'm never going to let my God get crucified. And Jesus turned the people, <laughs> turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but the concerns of, of man. Did you catch the play on words? Jesus first says to Peter, God showed you who I was. And then he second says to Peter, but Satan is trying to get you to prevent what I came here to do. What can we do? Jesus' identity is linked to those two truths. Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, and he came to die on the cross and be raised for the forgiveness of sins. You have to put those two together to get the right Jesus. If you have a discussion sheet, you can go ahead and flip it over and we'll go ahead and fill in those together. Don't worry, we're almost done. Point number one. God reveals who Jesus is. I say this because very lovingly, I went, when I was not a Christian, I went to school with a bunch of, what do you call them? Bible bangers? Bible thumpers. Yeah, you know? At Jesus Freaks. Actually, those ones I liked. Uh, <laughs> at least they were odd. But, you know, the Bible thumpers, you know? And man, I, I think the more they just tried to hit me over the head, you know, and they weren't even hitting me over the head with the Bible, you know? They didn't even know the Bible. They just had Bibles on them, and it was just this constant kind of manipulation and coercion and fear i can tell you this right now it did not work you know what worked i had a mama and i had friends who were praying for me because you see there's this little light bulb in your soul and they were praying that god would flick the switch and that light bulb would come on Obviously it did, because I'm here, <laughs> you know. But the point of the matter is, stop. Coercion, manipulation, using the tools of the enemy to try to get people into God's kingdom is never a good idea. It's never a plan that's going to be very effective. It's God who shows. It's God who reveals who Jesus is. What did Jesus say to Peter? My Father in heaven showed you this. And Peter may have said, well, actually, I put two and two together, and I figured it out, and you're doing all these miracles. I know all the prophecies, da-da-da-da-da. And so Peter thinks it's him, but Jesus is going, God connected all of those dots for you, and he turned the light switch on. God reveals who Jesus is. Now, I'm not saying don't say anything to people, but just focus more on what the Bible says about Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. When I have people who say, I know, I know you're a pastor, I know nothing about Jesus, what could you start off with that would help me? I start off with the simple truth. Jesus was God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He died for our sins, our moral failures, and he rose from death so that we could live forever in the forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus Christ. Short, simple, totally based on the Bible, and here's the thing. God is trying to probably flip that light switch on, and that light bulb's either coming on or not. 
you know? Now, when that light bulb comes on, the second question and the third question, you can usually kind of tell, whoa, whoa, the Holy Spirit's doing something in that heart. That's awesome. Let's keep going. Let's keep. Or sometimes it's like, eh, I don't know about that. Walk away. That's okay. I don't need, I don't need to go and, this is my Bible, crack them over the head with my, you know, with my, with my iPad. Get back here. Because God reveals who Jesus is. Often we are either the mouthpiece or the example. Amen? Amen. Number two, just because God shows you something doesn't mean the devil stops trying to meddle. Right? Peter had the confession that Jesus was going to build the church on in one moment, and then in the very next moment, he is telling Jesus, don't go to the cross, and Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. I love Peter because I identify with him so much. I can have such a great moment. My wife and my kids, oh, you're so wonderful, Tom. Oh, Daddy, you're so great. And then that night, I can blow it all. They're like, Dad! Me and Peter, we are going to be best friends in heaven. I can tell you that right now. We have a lot in common, right? I have this all the time. I have this great day, and all of a sudden, that, by that night, there's a huge gaff that comes out of my mouth. It might be even a gaff of the heart, but a gaff nonetheless. <laughs> because, because as God is whispering truth into our ear, the enemy has made it his career to try to distort everything God says. God says, I love you. And the enemy says, well, he loves you if you do this. God says, I forgive you. Oh, yeah, God said I forgive you, but he, he really couldn't forgive a person like you. See how the enemy's always, you know, he, he, the enemy can't get God from speaking. God is going to talk to you. If he just comes in after and he tries to reword what was said. So he did with Adam and Eve, right? He's, Adam and Eve said, hey, if we eat this forbidden fruit, we'll die. Oh, did God really say you would die? Come on, let me reinterpret his word for you. He's made a career out of it. He's as faithful at doing it to us as the sun is rising. Expect it and plan for it. Number three, to be almost right about Jesus is still to be totally wrong. I struggled with this a lot. But the fact of the matter is I've come to see it clearer and clearer and clearer. Because the fact of the matter is we're not saved by our good opinions about Jesus. We're not saved because we have a good feeling about Jesus. We're not saved because we like his moral teaching. We're saved because we accept his death and resurrection in place of our own. We say, Jesus, you don't have to judge me. I judge myself. What you have to offer, I need. And I humble myself. And I empty my hands so I can grab onto what you're offering and take it. And Jesus says, my blood will never fail you. Amen? And then finally, number four, you don't have to understand everything to know Jesus. As uh, Brooke and Alex have been on family leave I've been staying exclusively in the youth ministry 
and during the youth nights, usually I kind of like to ping pong between the adults, the youth, adults, the youth, but I've been staying over there with the youth, and uh, I've been having some great conversations. One of the kids in the youth group, I can tell he's a, he's a hard one. He's, he's not going to give it up easy. And I, I, I'm just letting God reveal who Jesus is. But anybody could have a conversation. So we were having a conversation. He said, you know, God is so annoying. I was like, that's what every teenager says these days. They love that word annoying, you know. God is, I'm like, well, how, how is God so annoying? He's like, well, he's like, I just don't get it, you know. He says he's a God of love. He says he loves us, dies for us, and yet we still live in this world of pain. There's still this thing called hell that exists that apparently he sends people to, which, by the way, if you really know Scripture, he doesn't. There's all of these things. God says one thing, but he seems like such a hypocrite because all of these other things are happening. He said, and I don't understand it. And I could tell he was kind of baiting me. Come on, give me your best shot. Try to explain that one. I just kind of looked at him. I said, you know what, son? I don't really like that either. I don't really like that about it either. That one bothers me too. Really bothers me. See, well, it bothers you too. So you're like me. No, I'm not like you. It bothers me, but I still believe. I don't have every answer. I can't explain every mystery. Either that's not for me to know now or that's not for me to know ever. What I do know is in the midst of all of the suffering and pain of this world, God himself suffered and endured pain in this world. Where was God when all the suffering in your life took place? The same place he was when all the suffering on his son took place. Right there. Right in front of him. But you know what? I don't understand every mystery. I've got a graduate degree in the Bible. There's lots of things I don't get. Lots of things I didn't get even when I was studying. I got, obviously, enough to understand what God needed me to know. But Paul says, now we see in part like through a mirror dimly, but then we shall know, even as that we are fully known. So what do we know now? I know this, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that God raised him from the dead. And by that, all men, all women, all children, and definitely all dogs will go to heaven. By our heads, let's pray. Worship team, come on forward. Before we close this morning, I want to give a very simple invitation. Because the fact of the matter is, if God has spoken this morning through the message, your understanding of who Jesus is has been expanded beyond, beyond Peter's initial answer. Peter's initial answer is Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. It's Jesus Christ. That's who he is. But by Jesus' own elaboration, 
he expands who he is to include what he did. That he died on the cross and he rose from that death so that you wouldn't have to die for your sins or that you wouldn't have to stay dead after you die. Those are powerful truths. I am in no attempt going to try to manipulate you, coerce you, speak in some emotional way, cry up here, do some dramatic antics to try to get anybody here to believe that. Because it won't work. And it's not my job to manipulate you or manipulate this city. I'm believing with all my heart right now that God is showing you something more about himself. Something more about his son. Something more about Jesus. Something more about the Holy Spirit. Something more about your life. Something more about your call. Yeah, everybody here has a call. There's something as a mission God has for you on this earth. He had a mission for Jesus. He has a mission for you on this earth. That God is showing you something more about his power. That God is showing you something more about his future for you. That God is revealing Jesus in a deeper way. God, I pray for everyone here this morning. You would reveal a deeper Jesus. And Lord, right now I come against all the doubts that this world tries to throw at us. Oh, the Bible can't be trusted. The church is all corrupted. All of this stuff. God, those are all lies from people who have something to gain out of trashing your people. Lord, we don't care about that. Because we are all equal at the foot of the cross. None of us stands above any one of us here. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. And so we come before you as men, as women in your image, with one voice and one accord to say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and for rising on the third day. You're not just a great moral teacher. You're not just an ancient Jewish revolutionary. You are God. And you are worthy to receive my worship. I worship you. I follow you. So let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. This morning, I make you my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and with power to do the mission you've put me on this earth to do. And as long as I have breath in my lungs, I am to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.